1: To another episode of the Agent Investor Podcast. I've mentioned, you know, over the course of probably the past two months that we've changed the formatting of the show a little bit. Um, We now have three things that we're doing on the podcast. Number one, we're interviewing agent investors from across the country. That's what we've always done. Um, And we take people, it doesn't matter where they're located. And most of those people I've never met before. Then I'm also doing some single individual shows. More kind of like teaching, and it might be like how to do deals with no money, it might be how to wholesale deals, and it's just me one-on-one teaching about a tactic or a strategy or a tool. And then the third thing that we're now adding on that we've done a few of in the past couple months is I'm bringing people that I've actually done deals with, that I work with, um, to talk about really their story, but you know specifically a little bit focused on how we've worked together and things like that. So, um, bringing on today um, a guy, Mike Lefavor, um, who we're in the middle of working on an eighty-eight unit um, apartment building in Nashua, New Hampshire. We're going to talk a little bit about that deal, you know, as we kind of go on in the show. But we're going to start out like we always do about, you know, his story, how he got into real estate and all that stuff. So, Mike, if we can kind of rewind the clock, you know, going back, what kind of even got you interested in being an entrepreneur? being in real estate? And then, you know, what was kind of your, your, you know, few years as a entrepreneur? Like,
0: I think, to be honest, the first day I got dropped off at kindergarten, I absolutely hated school. I was begging my mom to not bring me in there. So I've always (laughs) been kind of against the institution, structured environments, people telling you what to do. Um, So like, naturally, at a young age, I feel like the only option is, entrepreneurship, that's going to kind of give you that freedom that you want in life. Because um, other than that, you get out of school, you basically get into a job that's that same structure, that same authority that you, uh, that I always had that disdain for. Um, so at a young age, I was mowing lawns, I was helping my dad, you know, install HVAC equipment on the weekends. And, um, you know, I obviously did some odd jobs as a server and bartender and, and stuff like this. But, um, you know, I, think that it's just something I've always in, inherently wanted um and I think the main reason was really just uh being able to do what I want to do
1: yeah you know I think that's a common thread amongst all entrepreneurs and it's funny because um when I was in grade school, I hated grade school because it was very regimented. you could sit here at this time you could say this at this time you had to raise your hand you had to do everything and it's interesting because like I, I we were talking, a little bit uh, before you jumped on the show about some of the struggles I had in school and about like being on time and just doing like the simple things that I hated. Once I got into college, I absolutely crushed it because college, although I didn't really love college either, it had the ability to be like, oh, you can make simple things. You can make your own schedule. You can pick your own course. And it's like, it's just a, you know, a big change even between you know, grade school and college. And I think, but that, I think that's just a hallmark thing of entrepreneurs that they just want to kind of, I don't know, be independent, I guess, more than anything else. Right. It's
0: I'm a hundred percent the same way that you were in call. I didn't, I don't think I read a book until I got into college, a book that like I wanted to read. Like I would do cliff notes. I would do all of these other things in high school just to get past. And when I hit college, I did three years of college 100%. 100%. I, I started reading and enjoying the education, picking the classes. Like, it's a funny uh, similarity that we have there.
1: And one of the things that, like, you know, I would love to do, I don't know if I'll ever do it in my life, but I would love to have some sort of like entrepreneurship, you know, part to grade school or middle school, because there's so many kids that, you know, are like us. That they kind of get left behind a little bit because it's not that they don't like learning or that they don't want to work hard. It's just like school literally wasn't set up for them. And I, I think it's a minority. Like, I don't know, you know, tell me your opinion on this, but I feel like it's a minority of, of kids that, that are like that. And it's like, I think they almost get like misdiagnosed in school that either they're lazy or like they don't want to do the work or maybe they're not good students because they have a lot of energy and they're moving around. I mean, like, what do you think? Do you think that's a minority or do you think it's more kids that I'm thinking?
0: I think that that school's not set up to go and find people's special powers. Like, mm. you know, I think yeah. they're just grind you through whatever federal education that we think is the best thing for you and get out. And now, you know, we, we have a statistic saying that we have this many diplomas in the country um, I think that if we, and and something I'm really trying to do with my kids is find out what their special powers are and really try to focus on what makes them great. I mean, I mean, how many, how many mechanically inclined people did you know in, in school that got Fs across the board, but they, they could put an engine together blindfolded and, you know, and,
1: and, and, and worse than that, Mike, is that in, in our, like you're in my age, you're a little younger than me, but in our age group, right those people who could do those things, they were actually like, you need to go to college. Like that person that like flunked out of everything, couldn't do schoolwork, or maybe not that they couldn't do it. It's just not what they were good at. Then they were told, hey, you have to go to college to be successful. And then fast forward, right? Like how many laborers, you know, work with us that make a ton ton of money? Because guess what, some of those people went to college and they're like they're still not doing the thing that they were kind of like meant to do. It's crazy. It really is. So yeah, continue on. So you 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 obviously didn't love school, you know, you were you had an entrepreneurial bug from a young age. And then like, but did you know real estate or did you just know like I wanted to run a business? So I
0: definitely had an interest in real estate. Uh, my dad had a, a friend that was a flipper. I mean, an old school flipper that was doing it in the you know early '80s, '90s. You know, kind of that era. And uh, he would stop by and kind of plant those bugs. And you know, we would do work on his projects and change boilers out or whatever at his, his locations. So I kind of liked his strategy. He would go and buy a house, live in it for two years, and then sell it and avoid, you know, the the capital gains tax that he would and he would just keep doing that and doing that. Um, so that really kind of inspired me. Um, and then, you know, my dad was a classic victim of one of those late night kind of infomercials that Dean Graciosi was notorious for mm-hmm. in the, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So you know, my dad got one of those books and, uh, kind of just threw it at me one day. And like, you know, everybody's got the rich dad, poor dad, where it was like, that was their light bulb moment. But for me, it was a Dean Graciosi book. Um, and he really went into all of the different creative ways of, of how to buy and sell real estate stuff that is so common now, like, you know, wholesaling and subject to and seller financing, all of those things. Everybody thinks those are shiny new, um, you know, items in the real estate industry, you know, this stuff's been around for years and years and years. So, you know, I think that's the one book that kind of really sparked my interest in it. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I didn't jump into it. There was definitely a lag period. You know, I, I read the book, I got pumped up, but then, you know, I didn't believe that you could do real estate with no money, you know, I just didn't believe it. I couldn't buy into it. And now I've done so many deals without money. It's just like, it's it's f- so foolish to j- not have given myself that that head start.
1: I know it it is one of those, like, I don't even want to call it a limiting belief. Because when I think of limiting beliefs, I think of like, you know, someone maybe not having the confidence to do something. It, it's more than like doing deals with no money is more than a limiting belief because you really don't think. It's even remotely possible. Like it's it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, if I had a little bit more confidence, I would be able to do it. Like you really, it really sounds like it's impossible um, until you do it or you see other people that do it. And I I, I spent so much time in agent investor like talking about no money deals because you've got to figure out how to do deals with no money because nobody has enough money to do a lot of deals. Nobody. You could have two, three, four, five million $5 million. It's not enough. I mean, the one apartment deal that we're working on right now together, like we needed $4 million for that one deal. It's so like, okay, if you had $4 million, okay, you could do one deal. Um, so you always need to be you know, looking for money. So what kind of, what put pushed you over the hump to say, because I went through the same thing. Like I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you read the book, you're like, oh, I could do all of this you're ready to run through a wall, and then you're like, oh, I don't know what to do next. So what was the next step for you?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I I got kind of, I, I left college after three years and kind of got sucked into the, uh, the family heating and air conditioning. And, you know, my focus was like, hey, let's build up this business. Let's make this thing great. Um, and we, you know, we had some great success. I had some great time and learning opportunities, but, you know, that was just not, Uh, that was a dead end for me. You know, I didn't feel, I didn't feel fulfilled in that line of work. Um, at that same period of time, I got engaged with my, my wife of now almost going on 10 years, uh, this December. And, uh, we moved down to Florida and then we started one of the worst businesses that you could ever get into, which is a, a food service business. Um, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. I must've saw some website or webinar that, that told you, you know, this was the passive way to make money. So we ran that business for a couple of years. And um, honestly, what really pushed me to it was like, I've tried multiple businesses. You can get rich in anything that you want to do, but real estate, I don't care where you read it is the number one um, avenue to create millionaires on on the planet. So why am I kind of going against the grain here when, you know, everybody is, you know, in the, in the right kind of line to getting success in, in real estate?
1: Yeah, and I had um, you know, Tyler Scaglione and Jason Goldfarb from our office on yesterday. And we were talking about one deal that they did. And believe it or not, this is gonna sound like a made-up number, like for people that aren't in real estate, but this one deal increased both of their net worth by about one million dollars. And they oh, wow. did a deal together. They actually assigned a deal to each other. Tyler assigned 16 units to Jason. And Jason assigned a three family to Tyler. And between the assignment fees and the built-in equity, $1 million of, of net worth increasing one deal. And I think for me, the biggest thing about real estate, like you said, you can, you can get net worth in any of these industries. But I think for me, the biggest thing with real estate is just like most people who do real estate investing become millionaires, whereas most people who run running HVAC business don't. It, you you have to be like top whatever percent of running the HVAC business or top whatever percent of running a food truck business to get to that like you know four, five, six, ten million dollar net worth, whereas in real estate, it's like, you know, to get there, it's just like okay, it's gonna happen over the course of time and you can just kind of be like maybe a little bit above average. So the law of averages is just kind of like so much better. Um, so, you know, you had some success in those businesses and then, and then what ended up being kind of like, I don't know, your first real estate deal or your, your, your thing that pushed you to be like, this is real, this is what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah. So my, my first real estate deal was a new construction build actually. Um, so it was a vacant lot, um, you know, kind of outside of a neighborhood that I grew up in. I purchased it for $80,000. I had no idea how to build a new construction house, Um, all the things that went, you know, involved into it. Um, I basically had a blindfold on for, you know, six or seven months um, and somehow walked away with about like 60 to $70,000 in profit on it. So I thought like, you know, I was, you know, amazing. I could do anything. Um, and then funny enough, I went into two deals after that, two more new construction deals, um, one single family, and then a three family development. I lost money on both of those deals after that. So all of, all of the money that I got from that first lucky one, the universe slapped me down and took away way more than what I gained on those first, on that first victory. So that really like reset my priorities of like, you know, who, am I an investor or am I a builder? You know mm. who who am I in this kind of ecosystem of real estate? And you know, from that moment on, I was like, "Look, I'm going to be an investor. I'm not going to. I mean, yes, I am transactional with fix and flips, and you know, we buy right and we do things. But you know, I don't want to have to hunt and and mm. have a hundred transactions every single day to 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 make money
1: and and be wealthy. And and that's that's been my biggest mistake. You know, is that the, you do the train. I mean everyone's different. Everybody has different goals. But my biggest mistakes has always been like the transactions create like a lot of quick money. And quick money's fun. I mean, you made whatever you made on that first deal, you made, I think you said 80,000? Like 70 grand, yeah. It's a lot of money, right? So you get that checking, you're like, oh, how can I do more of these? But um, just like every piece of, you know, I look at flipping, flipping's active income, right? So it's good active income but it's still active income where on january 1st you got to do another transaction. Um so you realized that probably before me. I guess it takes me a little bit longer to uh to learn than you, but when you when you decided to be a little bit less transactional, like what was your plan at that point?
0: It was all honestly just time, right? You know, I've got two I've got two kids. Um I've got plans and places that you know my wife and I want to go do and see and Um, you know, flipping's not an easy business. Um, you know, the, if they, if they look behind the scenes at your company, what it takes to get these things across the finish line every single time and close is a daunting task. So, yeah, you know, like I caution everybody about like, again, who do you want to be as the, as a, as a person in real estate? Because if you think you're going to be a flipper and an acquisition specialist, and a general contractor and all of these things like you need to really prioritize cause you're going to get burnt out and you're going to end up doing, you know, a, a bad job. So, yeah, um, you know, that's, I, I mean, we're still flipping um, where we're trying to kind of systematize and put things on, you know, like kind of cream of the crop type stuff. But, you know, I, I feel like also like you've only got so much attention in a day and, and we spoke about this too. Like, if you could spend all of your time focusing on one asset class, if it's multifamily investment or fix and flip, what would you pick? And for me at this point, it's, it's a no brainer that multifamily, even though you're not getting that immediate. Yeah. That's the problem. That quick fix that you get with a flip. um, It it really, it does start adding up quite a bit. Like we've really developed quite a bit of cash flow annually um, that could, you know, really change your mind. So
1: and then and that's like the difference between you know when when people talk about investing especially when you're new like i remember not even knowing what is investing you know like there's so many different ways to invest and typically i look at it now it's like you're either doing quick turn where you're 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 doing something to a house or a property or whatever land and you're dumping it within a year or you're trying to hold it for the long run And the most challenging part, like most people go into it being like, oh, I want passive income. But then you buy your first multifamily and it's not enough because your first, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but maybe your first multifamily, you're making 10 grand a year. Well, just guess what? You can't quit your day job on 10 grand a year. You can't, there's a lot of things that you can't do with just one. But then like you're talking about the buildup, you keep doing it. Oh, another 10 grand, another 10 grand, another 10 grand. All of a sudden, and then rents go up and then you get appreciation. So it's like when you really look at it strictly from like a numbers game and you put all the numbers on paper, flipping versus like passive, you know, buying hold, it's not even comparable. But the problem is in the first few years, the transactional will make you more money on paper or like actually, I shouldn't even say on paper in your pocket in the beginning. 100%. So you made that decision. And so again, another thing that people struggle with, and I struggle with this in the beginning, is like, how did you put together your first few passive income deals? What do they look like? How did you get the capital and things like that?
0: So, um, I mean, I partnered in 2018 with um, after the after the loss of those two new construction deals with my my lifelong friend, similar to yours with uh, Bill Mendel, Matt Lavery. Um, I grew up, went to kindergarten with, uh, he was one of my buddy right next to me, hating school as much as I did as well. Um, so I'm like, Hey dude, like quit your job. I sold them how great, you know, real estate is. I didn't really let them know how much I was losing on these things, but I'm like, we can get in this, we can crush it. Let's go, you know, let's start, go flipping houses. So we didn't have multifamily investing in, in our kind of our game plan at first. Um, and, and the reason being is we didn't want to start off small. We didn't want to get that three unit and then another three and then another. So we were always just like, if we got one of those, we would have flipped it. Um, and we did, we flipped a lot of those that we were looking at. We're like, damn, we probably could be getting 2,500 a unit. You know what, what happened for us was, and this is why I love being in the transactional side of the real estate game is because it gets you involved in deals and it gets you to talk to more sellers and more opportunities. <clears throat> so I had um, actually my uncle who is a uh, runs a pest control business in the city of Nashua, and uh, he's like, "Hey, Mike, there's like this this lady I work for. I've never met her in five years, but her properties she's got about seven or eight properties in Nashua, about forty units." And they're all horrendous. Like if you went to the city of Nashua code enforcement, they were all on like the top 10 of worst properties in the city. Yeah. Um, and she was a nightmare of a lady to, to work with. Like I, me and Matt had to drive by her house, catch her on her stoop. I jumped out of my car and got her to sign the purchase and sales <laughs> agreement. Cause she was stringing us along for like six months so we made the decision right there. Where we're like, OK, this is the opportunity. We got presented a, uh, you know, a chance to get into multifamily and we're in a decent way where it actually now right from the right from the gate, we're going to make some, some money from this. You know, whereas you mentioned a moment ago, you're not going to see money on those three families until you really start, you know, getting a high, you know, higher unit
1: count. And that's another thing that you just, again, had foresight on that we made mistakes on, which was like, there's no reason to not go bigger, like out of the gate. And we just didn't. And we didn't have that foresight. We did a lot of small stuff, built it up. And then after we built it up, we're like, oh, maybe we should go bigger. <laughs> um, yeah. And we had we really had no reason to not go bigger out of the gate. So how many, how many Unix was that? Uh, so that was a 40-unit purchase. Yeah, that's a crazy, like, first start. So how did you finance that? Yeah, so that was uh, 25%
0: occupied. So we we purchased this on uh, June 30th, 2021. Um, so, you know, like, rents were less than 1% or vacancy was less than 1%. And you're like, how is this 25% occupied? You know, homeless people, crack, prostitution, everything oh, you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we did is we brought our our bridge lender in that does all of our fix and flips for us. You know, at, at that point we we've done you know forty plus fix and flips, so we have great you know uh, reputation with those guys. Um, we brought them in. We stabilized the units, got rid of all the riffraff, um, and then we brought in a local bank to uh, cash out refinance. And we got all of our money back, plus I think an additional like four or 500 grand in our pocket. So no money in the deal, and another five, you know, 400 grand that we could go, you know, now pump into the next deal.
1: And, and I think, you know, just an important point. And I, I, we cover this so much, but the power of what you just said is, is crazy. And you find an underperforming asset, you get it to perform you pull your money out and more. And now when you got the four to five back, that gave you more than you originally put in, right? Yes. So yeah. so that's the other thing that people, like I always say to people, you got to get your first one or two. And and maybe on your first one or two, you got to beg, borrow, and steal to get the money. Or maybe you have to do like an FHA loan or however you're getting your first one or two. But as you're, especially if you buy discounted and you get it up to up to snuff, Now, now you're in a position where you're pulling equity from that first or second deal and you just keep using it as like a piggy bank. So you guys took that four or 500. I'm sure the second you got it, your plan wasn't probably to go out and buy a Ferrari. It was probably like, how are you going to get another deal? Right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Our, our entire mindset shifted. Um, I mean, you know, I think you had Rod Cleef on your, your podcast, Yeah. Uh, So I've been to his event a couple of times too. And, you know, he's, he's one of those big guys of, you know, get hundred plus units, you know, really build like thousands and thousands of units. So like I was like literally looking down and like a hundred unit in the new England area. It's like, good luck. Nobody, like nobody has those, like you guys buying in Texas and Florida and all of these, like those, those complexes are dime a dozen go buy one around here. It's going to be a $75 million complex. Like, so like it didn't that model that he preached down there didn't work too much on like that kind of cash flow early investor uh framework but once we got 40 units in Nashua, we kind of shifted and said hey we've got a small base of units here kind of right in our backyard um why don't we just develop that you know we can leverage and get full-time maintenance guys that can also assist with fix and flips um so we, we kind of really then went you know full tilt on developing our new hampshire base you know right here in in um you know the state of nh
1: yeah and um you know you've said a a few different things and i I think one thing that's important to note i mean i did say a minute ago like hey you can go big out of the gate and you should try to go bigger out of the gate i I do agree with that but some of the stuff that you did it was a build-up so i don't want i i guess i you know i want to I don't want to say correct myself, but I want to make sure that people know that, like, even though you went 40 units into your first deal, your first passive income deal, you mentioned something like, Well, oh, I already had the lending relationships because of the fix and flips. So it's like everything does add up. And uh, Trevor Mock, who owns um carrot.com, one of the, the biggest really uh real estate investor website, he said something to me. He's he's in my age range and he's very successful. And Uh, I was on his podcast and he said something to me that always stuck with me. And he he talks about like building his business and like laying bricks. And, and, and um, he talks about the fact that like, if you lay bricks every single day, one day you're going to have like, you know, a crazy big house. But like, as you're like laying them down, you don't think that you don't think anything of them. And like, you just said something like, Hey, I could go to my lender because of all those other bricks that you built that you built. Right. So somebody else might not have necessarily had maybe as easy of a time going to that lender. And you also said something else that your experience with flipping was part of too, which is like you went into a 40 unit and it didn't sound like you getting it like renovated was an issue, right? It sounded like you just kind of like glossed over getting 40 units up to snuff. But that was probably because of the bricks that you laid with doing the, the rehabs before, right?
0: Yeah, and honestly our buying criteria right now for any other multifamily is honestly significant value add because um stuff right now isn't cash flowing and rates are higher. Um our our money right now we're not trying to have money sit in deals for decades. So yeah. if we're not, if we're not able to cash out, refinance, get into another deal, it's like we we kind of have to pass and and I completely agree with like the delaying bricks thing. So that's why like everybody that's out there you know, you know, uh, you know, on the edge of getting into real estate investment, whether it's flipping or not, like if I wasn't involved in it for the last couple of years, you know, my uncle wouldn't have known he wouldn't have given me a tip and that none of this stuff would have happened. We, we wouldn't have known how to rehab the properties. We would have been intimidated and scared. So it's just like, get going. There's so many people out there. There's so much resource, you know, available to you to, to really, walk you through a lot and and, and avoid mistakes that you've you've made i've made it's all out there but like get in it because opportunity is passing you by every day that you don't even that you're not aware of
1: hey everyone this is tom caffarella i want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one thank all of my loyal listeners of the agent investor podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up Uh, It's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80 100 hours a week grinding selling real estate flipping homes um, definitely check out this event we're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire so that you can work when you want how you want and ultimately achieve financial freedom so again go to passiveincomeevent.com for more details and we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event yeah. And, and even those like those bricks there, I mean, the, the definition of the brick is really just a small step, like a small something that like it ends up adding up to a lot more because even, I mean, I, I do want to talk about Nashua and I want to talk about apartments in general, but like, I'm even just thinking about like, we had a point where we had to like get bridge financing on that and we had to get that done fairly quick. And I remember thinking in my head, like Bill got that done pretty well, pretty fast.ing I remember thinking like, I bet a lot of people couldn't have done that. And and it's because he's had so many banking relationships in the past. And we're, you know, just small things like we're bankable, like most small investors, like they're not bankable, they don't have balance sheets, they don't have P&Ls, they don't have, you know, a CFO, all that good stuff. So it's like, it definitely all builds upon each other. Um, But now getting back into like, so you got the 40 units, and then after that, were you thinking in your head already, like, I want to do more than 40 units? Or what were you thinking after that point?
0: Yeah, after that point, I think we wanted like thousands of units. Um, it's just like, if if we can do 40, we could do 40,000. Um, it's really not different. You know, if you're going to turn a bedroom, it's going to have a sink, it's going to have flooring, paint, carpet, it's all the same. It's just you're going to add a multiplier to it. That's That's the beauty is that it doesn't get more complicated. It gets easier.
1: So, which is what is amazing about this. I know we've, we've probably had this conversation, me and you, plus me and Bill, plus me and Jim separately 50 times where it's crazy. It's easier to renovate a hundred units than it is to fix and flip a really hard single family. And that, that shouldn't be the case at all. I mean, well, what would you give apples to apples, right? Eighty-eight units that you know you're 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 managing the renovation in in Nashua. How many single-family fix and flips would you equate that to? Um, I know this is a weird question, but I'm just trying to give people kind of a sense. Like, would you rather flip ten houses or manage that eighty-eight unit? Just work-wise.
0: I mean, work-wise all day long. I, I mean I don't really have to show up on that that project too often. 10 um, yeah. ten ten flips, that's uh that is a full-time job for six months, you know, times ten properties. That's that's more than a full-time job. That's eighty plus hours a week of just burning things down to the bone to get those things done. So I would say managing larger asset classes with competent you know, uh, work, uh, workers on on site is uh, way easier to, to, to handle.
1: So, you know, what, what we did, and, you know, part of our story was, we bought all these two to six unit buildings. And a few years ago, Bill said to me, he's like, do you want our kids inheriting these properties? And I really thought about it. That was the first time that ever came into my head. Never had that thought before, because we own a bunch of Multifamilies, all in really tough areas, and this is where you know you talked about other parts of the country where New England is really different. We have such tight inventory that the cash flow for multifamilies, small multifamilies, you got to be in 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 the tough areas. And you mentioned kind of like the different things that you inherited when you got those forty units. I mean, we could tell stories all day long about like tough, tough people to manage. So it was at that moment, and it was a weird thing because it was kind of a split second decision. We were like, let's just sell them all and go bigger. And we had built those all up over probably like a five-year period. And then all of a sudden, we were just like, OK, let's, let's get rid of them. And we we started building 100-unit um, new construction in Millis, Mass. And we've got um, the 19-unit in Wakefield that we're almost done with. And then at some point, like a year and a half, almost two years ago, you came to us, you know, with the Nashua deal. So how did you find the Nashua deal? Like, why did you want to bring us into the deal? Um, and, you know, what got you excited about it?
0: Yeah, so Nashua deal was a uh, the Henry Hanger building, which I've driven by thousands of times in my life. It's an iconic mill building uh, that that always manufactured you know, uh, clothes hangers. Um, so in 2018, I remember somebody finally buying the building and was like, Oh, that, that'd be great. You know, let's see what they're going to do with it. Um, a couple of years go by and, you know, I'm, I'm scanning Craigslist and it's a, you know, for sale by owner. Um, this guy's trying to sell, um, a mill building. So I'm like, all right, that's kind of a weird thing for Craigslist. Usually you're looking for, you know, a fix and flip or something like that. So I called the guy immediately, Um, he answered the phone and, um, little did I know that I was talking to a very, very sophisticated, uh, investor Mm -hmm. and he, his MO was going in and buying, um, unentitled property. So property that's not approved for anything yet. Um, very cheap. He buys them in as is condition, and then he'll go in to the city, get it approved for, you know, multifamily housing and then go resell it for you know a substantial profit. So that's what he does and he's very successful at doing it.
1: Yeah, that's that's um, so the that's the one thing Bill won't let me do. Yeah. No matter what. He's like I we're not buying anything that's not permitted. Never.
0: Yeah. So that's that's the I mean that, there's a there's definitely properties that this guy's sitting on that he's lost money on. So yeah. um it's it's a major gamble but um, you know, I feel that this guy specifically is so stubborn, and and like you know, nothing's going to stop in the wor- him in the world of getting what he wants. But I think it was three point six million dollars. Um, it only it was for eighty units, and it only came with sixty six parking spaces. So, um, and this was one of the guys that you would talk to and say, okay, hey, I'm going to need a ninety day due diligence period. Um, you know, then we'll close thirty days after that. And he's like, I'm going to give you a thirty day due diligence period and you're going to close 30 days after that. And I'm like, (laughs) but I, but I'm like, but I need 90. He's like, I don't think you understand me. You need to like, you're getting 30 days. So I was like, what the heck? So he, you know, kind of steamrolled us on the elements of the deal and and what we needed to. So we had a short fuse to close this. I don't, obviously I didn't have $3.6 million. Um, I've had a relationship with, with you and Bill. And I knew that the volume that that Cameron and, and Ocean City does and, I was like, you know, let me call them up. They'd be a great partner in this deal. Um, And then you guys, it seemed like we kind of just met up at the exact right time with the alignment of where we want to go with multifamily. And, you know, we were able to put the deal together. And And I know you said it like so like Bill just took care of the financing on this. Bill made some miracles happen you know, just to get that thing done on like the final hour as well. Like we Mm -hmm. went through like five or six different kind of people to, to make this work. So, you know, he really did some heavy lifting on that and uh, you know, pull through big.
1: But, but uh, what I kind of meant by it um, I probably said it wrong. What I meant more was that like, again, going back to the building the brick analogy, he, he didn't have those relationships just out of thin air. And he didn't know how to do it out of thin air. Like if you had given me that same task, same exact task, I would have failed at it. <laughs> I I, could, I would have, because I, would, I wouldn't have known what to do. And it's like, um, again, he only knew how to do that because that's not his first time figuring out how to get a deal to the finish line capital wise. And, and I don't, even, the, the crazy thing is, it's going to sound really bad. I'm not even sure. I don't know how he did it. Like literally all I know is that like, every like couple of weeks is like, "Oh, I'm getting nervous about this. Like, you know, and, and he probably expressed that to you as well. Like, you know, and, and, but he did end up pulling it out. And um, yeah, well, it's crazy. Cause that guy, you know, it's tough when you don't have leverage. I mean, we're used to like dealing with leverage. We usually have the leverage and, you know when, when somebody just has, we don't usually deal with sellers whose net worth, net worth dwarfs us. And so when, when it's the opposite, it's like that guy could, that guy probably would have been just as happy to take our deposit and do something else.
0: Um, Well, you're, I mean, he, he was notorious. So all the commercial brokers know him for that. Like a lot of them actually have this guy on their black list because they don't want to deal with the transaction with him. But I don't know. I I looked at this like, Hey, it's in my hometown. It's going to be an amazing finished mill building they aren't making more of them they're a hot commodity you know throughout new england like can i take it on the chin a little bit to go and put an 88 unit apartment complex into our portfolio because again one of those things happens like you know building a muscle You know, once you do that eighty-eight unit, now it's like so. You're gonna think everything else after that is so much easier. So,
1: and that that's with everything. That's with everything. It it doesn't matter what you're doing. Whether you're selling, you're you're listing your first house, you're working with your first buyer client, you you flip, you you do a small. Once you do anything once, then it's it's weird. It's just how we are as humans. Like once we do it once, even if it was like super hard the first time, the second time it's easy yeah
0: and like I, I just wanted to be in the gym flexing that muscle because what even if it you know even we lost a, you know or uh, left a little money on the table, I want to be able to have that skill set to go out there and crush larger apartment complexes.
1: yeah, it's um it's crazy but you know what we found is those deals with their when you can do the heavy construction, they're just so much more profitable. And we're gonna have basically like new construction quality in a nice city with big cash flow. I mean, on the P&L, just so people can get an idea, like I, you know, interest rates are gonna fluctuate and whatnot, but like what should that deal kind of net out like once it gets up and running roughly?
0: I, I mean, after everything, debt service and all that stuff paid, I mean, we were projecting like five to six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um Yeah. After all expenses paid. And that's also factoring us getting all of our money back out of the deal as well,
1: too. So so one thing that I want to point out about apartments, because since we started doing apartments, obviously, I'm posting pictures and people are seeing that we're doing these deals. One thing that I learned about apartments, that's just so important for people that are listening and they're like, oh, I want to maybe do an apartment deal, but um, I don't know how or I don't have the money. What, what I've found with apartments, it's like it's usually not one person involved. Yes, maybe there are some like super high net worth people that can do these deals by themselves. But if you kind of look at the structure of an apartment deal, you know, Mike, in this case, was the deal finder. And as a deal finder, and he's going to be project managing the deal. So he brought two two major skill sets to the to the table on this one. He's in on this deal. I was lucky enough that we were able to to put a good degree of capital into the deal, not all of the capital, but a good degree of capital. But then in the end, we ended up raising capital into this. We put our money in, but then we pulled it back out. So now in this deal, we have um, 10 to 15 capital partners that are getting the benefit of what apartments give. They're getting a great rate of return for just being in this deal completely passively. Just by having money no construction expertise (laughs) they didn't have to find the deal right we had to provide the capital mike had to find the deal mike had to to manage the project we're helping mike to some extent with the management of the project but my whole point of this is like if you want to get into apartments you don't need all the skill sets like if you're going to fix and flip a house unfortunately you need to have all the skill sets like you do a single family You're not going to partner with 10 people on a single family. So if you fix and flip a house, you need to find the deal. You need to fund the deal. You need to manage the construction. You need to sell the deal. But if you're going into an apartment deal, you only really need like one of those skill sets. If you have money, you can be in the deal. If you can raise money, you can be in the deal. If you can find a property, you can be in the deal. If you can manage the construction, you can be in the deal. And sometimes even the property managers are in the deal. So there's so many more areas that you could be like a piece on these and you know it's just if you if you have good skills in any of those areas like you can grow your portfolio you don't need to have every single one of those skills and there's a piece in that
0: you know where the buck doesn't just stop with you on everything like you can rely on a teammate to kind of step in and help out where his area of expertise is so like, that's the beauty of being on a team is that you just got a bunch of great people that, that you, you know, you sought out that are better and smarter than you at so many other things that, you know, are with you on a common goal about making money in real estate. So like, there's such a, like a serenity in having teammates that yeah. are, are with you along the ride.
1: It's huge. And I've been lucky enough to like have that kind of almost from day one, you know, with Bill and Bill's dad, but the team keeps growing. So, you know, what it's allowed. You know, me to do is, you know, my my roles and responsibilities, they keep shrinking. I, I'm still spending the same amount of time in my bit in my business working, but I'm working on more of a narrow focus, which allows me to get a lot better at the things that I need to be good at. Um, you know, because in the beginning I was I was the one listing the houses and I was the one going on the appointments. And it's like as time goes on and you build not everybody wants to build a business like that, but if you do want to build a business. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that if next week I go on vacation, there's no part of my business that's not going to operate, right? I always, as a control freak and a business owner, always think if I'm there, it's going to be better. And maybe that's true to some extent, but when I go away, it still runs, right? Because I have all competent people, again, biggest thing, you know, with, with all kind of the same goals that project is what like it's a little bit over a year away from being completed yeah people ask me for updates all the time i'm like i still haven't been there yet
0: <laughs> i Pretty know bad. that's wild
1: <laughs> i i do i you know what i want to do though um i want to do like a bus tour there and i was talking to um bill and jim about this the other day and they're like well i don't know if it would be you know that great at this condition but at some point, I wanna I wanna try to do like a bus tour and get a bunch of people there because I think it would be a cool project. That'll probably be the first time I, I visit it. But you'll but have to so, rent a
0: couple hundred hard hats. The uh, the GC will probably kick everybody's butt if they're not wearing them on that project.
1: That, that's that's what they said. They were like, you know, it's, this is not like the traditional like single family fix and flip that we can have like ninety percent done and people can just walk through it like casually. So I I still want to do it. We got to figure out a way to yeah. kind of make that happen. A little bit more about apartments, though, like, you know, for people that are listening and they're interested in them, like, what advice would you give to somebody who maybe hasn't done a ton on the investing side, but they do want to, like, they know they want to do apartments? How? What advice would you give to somebody that's in that position?
0: So the, I'd say three things. The, the first thing is set a, a high bar for yourself. So don't, don't go in and say, you know, I just want 10 units. Tell yourself that you could go get 100, 200, 300, 400 units and, and really believe that you can do that. Um, that's what I, I did with myself. Um, and I, it's again, it's, it don't, let, don't be intimidated by a bigger, more audacious goal. Um, the, the second thing I would do is start getting in networking and Facebook groups and um, talking to people that are out there doing it. We're in an age where you can go connect with people all over the world that, you know, you, you don't know. You could just be in a group where this guy that's just posted something has 16,000 units and you can get free advice from him or he's a guy that you could go bring a deal to. So get on networking groups. And then a, another thing is, you know, brokers are kind of the 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 bell of the ball in, in multifamily. So yeah. you know, go on to loopnet, go on to Crexi, find the market that you want to get into and get the list of all the top producing brokers and send them an email and say, Hey, you know, I'm an investor, I'd like to get on your mailing list. And, you know, whether you can't afford these properties or you can't take them down, you're gonna start getting your inbox flooded with deals that are coming to market. You're going to start getting pro formas. You're going to start getting uh, T12s, all of the financial information that comes with the, with the, you know, the sale package. So now you like, I remember uh, Robert Kirosaki would say these things where he would just go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals and, you know, hope to only get, you know, one to three of the offers accepted. Yeah, like you know, sharpen the ax before you go out there and commit on that first deal. And and the only way you're going to do that is by actually looking at deals, because a lot of these deals that brokers are going to send you, they don't pass the stress test. Yeah. So like, you can say like, this isn't a deal when, and when you're able to do that, your confidence level really is increased. So those are the, the three things I would say for a new investor to run out there to get their, you know, their confidence level where it should be.
1: Yeah. And I think also going back to the building brick kind of analogy, it's like, it's going to take you a while to, to to probably do your first deal. But that doesn't mean that you can't put in work every single day, right? And, and so what Mike's talking about, looking at all those deals and analyzing them and contacting brokers, like, no, that's not going to get you a deal. And I, And I think like, it's a weird thing. I think this is just like a fact in life. The more that you can delay gratification, typically, the better you do, you know, in the end. And it's like, yes, like the sale of a house is probably the easiest thing to do, but you're only going to make $8,000, right? Then flipping a house, maybe you make 50 and that's pretty quick, you know, gratification too, but it's much longer than, um, you know, listing or working with the buyer. Uh, then buying like a small multifamily, okay, that's, a, that's going to be much longer Delayed gratification, where like maybe that takes a few years for that to be like a great investment. And apartments are probably even a little tiny bit longer. So it's like, as long as you can be patient and always make some progress every single day, you're going to get there. And for most people, it's hard because the progress that you make in the beginning isn't financial progress, it's educational progress. And that's why, like, there's a saying in real estate the more you learn, the more you earn. And it can be really frustrating, especially if you're like a go-getting entrepreneur to be patient um, and to learn first. But for those of you who like feel like you're not educating enough, that's really where like our Inner Circle program, that's where all of the, the podcasts, everything that we do kind of fits in. Um, all of the content that we give for free is great, but the Inner Circle really takes it to another level. Because that's when we actually have the ability to partner with you or analyze your deals or have one on one conversations with you, because all of this stuff is like good, like you can listen to me and Mike talk right now. And I guarantee you like took some nuggets away. But then how it applies to your individual situation is the hard part, because everybody's at a different point in their life different age, different capital resources, different backgrounds, different goals. And that's really where the Inner Circle kind of comes into play, which is our coaching program. Um, For those of you who have not signed up for a call yet, all you need to do is go to www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. And what we do is it's basically a free strategy session where we'll talk to you, we'll analyze your situation, and we'll give you a bunch of to-dos on that call. And that's kind of a taste of what it's like to be in the inner circle. If you want to take it to the next level, that's when we would talk about actually joining. And there's there's a lot of there's three ways that you can get into the inner circle, and two of them are free. So even if you don't have capital and you're an agent, we can work with you. Uh, we want to help as many people as we possibly can. Um, and even like you know Mike's story, I know Mike told us at our our last event, but um, Mike came through. A funnel, just like how, you know, you guys are listening right now. And um, he was thinking, or maybe he heard about my coaching program. And I just said, dude, join my brokerage, like, you know, I'll help you if you just join my brokerage. And, um, you know, I never would have thought four years later that we'd be working on an apartment building together. But that's just how this stuff kind of happens. And And honestly, I don't know who got the better of that deal. Because right now I wouldn't be working on that 88 unit without Mike and you know, maybe vice versa because maybe Mike wasn't you know capable of, of pulling it off that day. So it's just truly like you know win-win when we can work together with people. And especially if you're in New England, you know, you can join coaching programs that are like in other parts of the country We're different here. We really are, like we have different properties. We have different ways of doing business than other parts of the country. But that 10 or 15%, that's a little bit different, is different enough that, in my opinion, if you can, if you're in New England, this is much more of a no brainer for you. We can help people in anywhere, but like there are specific things about New England that make this a little bit more challenging. Um, So, what are your goals now, Mike? Like, you obviously want to keep doing apartments. Like, where do you want to go with the apartments? Yeah. So,
0: I mean, we, we've got, again, a big goal that's set for us. We, we want to hit, you know, 10,000 units in the next three, three to four years. Um, And, you know, I think our, our shift from that is we built a pretty solid base of kind of buying everything ourselves, cashing out, getting our money back. But um, I think our big shift now is really going to get into what we did together on this 88 unit building, which is raising capital, bringing people in the deal and then really having a, a solid team go out and execute these things. So, you know, that, that's where we're at. That's we'd like to be 10,000 units in the next three to four years. Um, our, our fix and flip business, you know, we'd like to keep that, you know, right around like 40 flips a year, but have that on autopilot. I don't want to think too much about that, that business. Um, I like the deals and the opportunities to get brought to us by it, but um you know it's it's definitely not our 100% focus for you know our our three you know 3 to 5 year plan
1: yeah same here we um we we talked about this i don't know if i even told you this or not i might have i might not have but this is the first year that we've ever gone to into a year saying our goal is to do less flips than the year before <laughs> yeah yeah i never thought i never thought i'd say that um but it's because we want to do more apartments so you know we 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 want to have kind of like you're talking about like a controlled, fix and flip business because really that's my job right? I, at this point, like I don't even define that as investing. That's my job. That's how right. I get paid. That's how I get cut a check every week. Um, but that's not really what I was I was after in the beginning. So like that's the other thing related to fixing and flipping is like if you make good income already whether you have a job or you're an agent or whatever like you don't need to flip houses like to me flipping houses is just like active income focus more on the long-term passive stuff and you don't even need to if you have capital you don't even need to be finding deals like you can you can make a ton of money by just investing you know passively so that's another thing that I kind of wish that I knew when I was a CPA and I was like on a partner track and I would have made great money as I don't I wouldn't have liked it, but I could have made great money as a CPA and just invested passively. So if you've got capital, that's another way to kind of you know get into apartments or earn passive income that's completely stress free. Um, cool. So last thing I want to ask you, because obviously this is the agent investor podcast. How has being an agent kind of helped you along with your investing goals? and how have you kind of like combined the two to some extent? Uh, I'd say immensely,
0: and, and the reason I say that is similar to what I just mentioned about getting on all those broker lists and sharpening your axe with getting familiar with all the you know the, the documents necessary with those deals. When you're an agent, doesn't matter you go into you know uh, Keller Williams, whatever. Every one of these brokerages offers free training to their agents, so it's it's a free crash course on how to put real estate deals together and get deals closed. So when, when you're an agent, you're going through, like, just imagine you want to go, you came across a 40 unit apartment building, but you've never put a purchase and sales agreement together. I Mm -hmm. I look at being an agent like, Hey, yeah, it is transactional income. Yeah. You do get some gratification from that, but the skills and negotiations, uh, contracts, um, you know, all of the software necessary with it was, was fundamental to take you to the next level of going to flips. And go into multifamily. So, like, I'm still a major proponent to say, get your license. It's cheap. You know, the test is cheap. There's nothing crazy. You you know, you don't really have to spend much money to to hang your hat with a brokerage. Free education. It's like it's kind of a no brainer to to be associated with you know the realtor association or just a, a real estate salesperson.
1: Yeah, and you know, continuing on with the brick analogy. By being an agent, whether you even know it or not, you're adding bricks to being an investor, right? You're learning how to comp properties, you're looking how to network with other agents, you're you're doing a lot of the things. And that's really where the whole agent investor concept came out of, where it's like every agent should invest. And one of the main reasons is you've got half the skill set. You've laid half the bricks just by being an agent. So all right, Mike. Well, I know you got a you got a busy rest of the day, I'm sure. Um, I want to thank you for for jumping on. And um, I'm sure we'll catch up, you know, at some point later this week to talk more about the deals we're working on. But um thank you for coming on. And guys, we'll be back again with another episode of the Agent Investor Podcast next week. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education strategies and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.